The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. And you know, people keep asking me about something, and I'm going to give you the answer in this show because this one comes in a lot. It sometimes takes me a while to realize how often I've been asked about something, but if this many people want to know, then I have to give you what you want. And you know what people keep asking me about? Colonel. Why is the word colonel spelled so very, very badly? Well, you know, you're going to get what you want, but are you sure you want to know? Are you confident, dry, and secure that you want to know? I'm using this to bring on my very favorite commercial jingle. I've used this once before, but let's start out with the most triumphant, wonderful song. This is the 1970s and 1980s commercial for Sure Deodorant, which I do not use, but what a song. Raise your hand. You got it. Raise your hand. You know it. You feel confident, secure. Raise your hand. You feel dry now. Raise your hand. You know why now. Raise your hand. You've got it, that sure, secure, confident feeling. Because each sure gives you enough protection to help feel dry all day. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do use deodorant. I highly recommend Mitchum. Sure, frankly, actually isn't very good, but what a song they had at the time. In any case, this kernel business, the problem with kernel is that I completely understand why somebody would want to know why that word that looks like colonial on the page is pronounced kernel, as in a kernel of corn. But the thing is, as you can imagine, I can't do a whole show about kernel. Or if I tried, it would be something rather forced, kind of like doing a whole show about the word why. So instead of doing a whole show about it, it occurred to me that kernel is actually not unique. There's something about terms for military titles that tends to be a little messy. They're little stories with actually most of those words. So let's do a show on, of all things, given that the military in general is not exactly my bag, let's do a show about military terms. What do I mean by these military terms? Well, you know, of course, we have to go to the wonderful four seasons in the 1950s of the Bilko Show with Phil Silvers, where you've got these guys who are in the army and you hear these terms all the time. So, for example, listen to this little clip of this one scene where you hear three of them practically in a row. Sergeant Bilko, thank heavens I found you. I think we have a mutiny on our hands. Corporal Barbella, let's not bother the colonel. Wait a minute, come in here. I want to hear what this is about. Hold it a minute. The colonel wants to hear what this is about. 
sergeant, corporal, colonel, all three of those. What about those words? There's a story actually in all three of those words and more. Because this episode is inspired by this word colonel, let's do it. What is it with colonel? So on the page, colonel, and yet you have to learn that it's colonel. Can you imagine coming to English as a foreigner and having to learn that absolutely ridiculous example? Originally, the word was colonel because we get it from the French word coronel. That's the way it was pronounced in French, and it's one of the many words that we took from them. So there was a time when you said colonel, actually cornel, and you wrote it that way. So, for example, Death on the Nile, the film, 1978. Listen to how Peter Ustinov in his Hercule Poirot role addresses David Niven as a colonel. Listen to him. You told me yourself, mon colonel, that Madame Doyle left the observation saloon a little before 11.45 to go to bed. So that's the French way. Why don't we spell it coronal the way we should? Well, you know, the problem was that starting in the 1300s and extending for about 200 years after that, there were these people, and their names are lost to the ages, but there were these very persnickety people who decided that the way English spelled things had to reflect where the words came from. And so we have a great many words that are spelled wrong, so to speak, because of people thinking that that was some sort of progressivism. And so, French has coronel, but the original word was colonel, colonel, and that was from Italian, and that was from columna in Latin. It was about a column, as for example, as time went on, columns of soldiers, and so it's columna, and then colonella. Well, French changed the L to an R, as will happen. So most of us are familiar with how hard it is for people who speak East Asian languages to often master the difference between L and R. And it's because L and R are really variations on the same thing. For a language to distinguish L from R is actually kind of cruel. And therefore, it's common in languages worldwide for the L to become the R, for the R to become the L. So in French, colonella became coronel. Okay, perfectly natural. And then we took it as what we now say is colonel. But the spelling had this L jammed in out of this sense that that's what it quote unquote really is because Latin apparently really is, even though now it really is dead. And it was then, really. But here we are and we just have to spell it that way because we're used to it. So that is the story with Colonel. And that's not a unique story. You see this again and again. Think about soldier. Soldier is one where it's a very similar story, but it actually affected the way we actually say the damn word. And so, for example, soldier, that goes back to Latin, soldarius. And soldarius went back to soldus, which in Latin meant a kind of coin. So, a soldarius is somebody who has pay, i.e. a soldier. If you know any Italian, so non i soldi, I don't have the money, that's because Italian is carrying right on from that Latin term. So a soldarius is somebody who has gotten pay. So Latin becomes Old French, and Old French has it as soldier, okay? And eventually soldier, but soldier, Old French starts pouring way too many of its words into poor English. And so, soldier, we bring it in, and so we have this word soldier. Soldier. So, somebody, you know, marching around with, you know, eventually a, a gun. That is a soldier. Now, if you say soldier enough, if you must, 
then it's going to become soldier. So, did you eat? Did you eat? Jeet. So, are you a soldier? Are you a soldier? Soldier. Soldier. That's the word. So, we really should be talking about soldiers in the army. That's a perfectly plausible word. But some jackass decided that the word had to have that L stuck back into it because it started as soldarius. So, that person did it and then probably died of some vermin or something like that. But now here we are, and we don't even say soldier, but then spell it with the L in that way that we do with colonel and spelling it with the L. We actually learn to say soldier because it's sitting in there. And so you think, well, if I say soldier, I must be saying it wrong. And there's such a short distance between soldier and soldier that people decided, well, it must be soldier in the same way as we look at something like often. And we say it must be often because there's that T sitting in there despite the fact that nobody says that they're going to whistle a happy tune. Was I whistling? No, but we have to say often, supposedly. That spelling will fuck you up, folks. I'm sorry. And so soldier is wrong. You know, I wouldn't be caught dead saying soldier. You're just not allowed. But that is an arbitrariness. It's not based on natural development. It's not based on what we value so much, which is letting it all hang out. And then there's another example like that. It's the good old corporal, that word. Corporal starts as Latin's corpus, and corpus meant body, but that word had many fates. And so if you're talking about a body of the army, and that word goes into French, then after a while you've got French's word, course, that then becomes corps. And rather late in the game, English borrowed corps from French. 1700s probably, and so we have a corps, as in an army corps. But the thing is, corps in French, before it had been course. So you have corpus, then course, then corps. Well, at one time it's course, and English often would borrow a French word at different stages. So there was course, and we borrowed that too. But at the course stage in French, it meant two things, a body of soldiers, but it also meant a dead body. That's how the meaning had evolved. And so you could have a course. Now, under ordinary conditions, that would mean that we would have a difference between a corps, as in a military corps, and then you would go to certain places and see laid out a course. But no, no, here comes jackass again. You've got to put that P in because the original word was corpus. You have to remind people writing English that the language has a relationship, although frankly indirect, with Latin. And Latin was important because people wore vines around their heads and proclaimed things. And so, next thing you know, the idea is that it's not coarse, but corpse, and that probably you should say it that way. Therefore, a military corps, and then a dead body is a corpse. And then, of course, we have to borrow that, of course, of course, we have to borrow that word again. And so we have a corpus, as in a body of work. So next thing you know, you've got Latin preserved perfectly as corpus, a body of work. Latin preserved artificially as corpse, and that means a dead body. And then Latin as it naturally developed in French into corps, and that means something like the Peace Corps. And then you have corporal, which just basically nods at all of these things. But corporal starts as what in Latin meant a torso. Now, you know, this isn't all so insane if you bend over backwards. I mean, for example, there are people who say that we need spelling reform, but even if we do it, the word no 
as in to know a fact, should keep the K. The K is hopelessly unpronounced, but the idea is that we're supposed to keep the K so that we can see that there's a relationship between knowing a fact and acknowledging, as in indicating one's knowing. And so if acknowledge has the K still in there and it's still pronounced, then we have to spell know as kno in order to indicate the relationship. Now, for those of you who understand how silly it is that that P was stuck back into corpse, well, maybe those same of you might not see such folly in the idea of keeping the K on no, partly because that's the way we've always seen the word. There's a part of me that wishes that we spelled no as in to know a fact as N-O. That would make perfect sense, and nobody would ever be under any question as to which no was meant. The no-no or the no-no-no-no, no, or what happens so seldom that it would be worth the change. But still, I must admit, we are all aesthetic creatures. I'm used to that K. I think it's kind of cute. I think all of us are vaguely proud of ourselves that we've learned to put the K on words like knee and knife and no, even though it's not pronounced. We feel like, well, <laughs> Yeah, I do feel that way to an extent. So, you know, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. Or, for example, should, should, would, would, and could, could, L's. The L in could is inserted. That's not there. There's no reason for it. In would and should, it makes sense. In could, the L is only there because somebody felt that, well, it's related to would and should and its meaning. They should be a nice little line of three ducks in a row, and so it has to be cold, wooled, and shulled. It just felt kind of right. And you know what? Doesn't it? Doesn't it kind of seem like the L should be in there? Because they're all pronounced the same now. So if it's would with an L and should with an L, well, either we're going to take the L's out or maybe two rules over the one and you have the cooled. Once again, I would like to spell could in some other way. Although notice, what would that be? What letter do you use? Because we're not going to invent any new letters. What letter do you use for the uh? There are choices to be made. Say that it's O-O as in good, but don't forget that O-O also is U in words like fool, as in these people back in the Middle Ages who screwed up our spelling system. So is could going to be C-O-O-D? And then there's going to be some little kid who's trying to learn to read. <laughs> Daddy, what, what's good? Well, you have to tell them, no, it, it's could. Then they say, well, hi. And then you listen to the last episode of this show. But the thing is, these can be arbitrary things. And let's face it. What you grow up with is what you kind of like. So I'm trying here because really English spelling is a barbarity, but these are some of the ways that it happens. And these military terms are really a fertile ground for that sort of thing. It is time for a clip. And you know, I'm going to inflict something on you. This is a song that is really one of my top 10 old songs. I rarely inflict it on anybody because I don't expect anybody else to feel this way. This is Harry Warren and Al Dubin. They are writing for the movie musical series that was kicked off by 42nd Street. Then there's Gold Diggers of 1933. Some of you probably like those movies. And as you can imagine, they're a standard five or six that make it into the box sets, etc. But then for every one of those, there are another couple that were in the series that nobody needs to ever see again unless they're insane. One of them was in 1935 and it was called Shipmates Forever. I don't recommend it, but it did have this song. I'd love to take orders from you. This is the same two guys who wrote 42nd Street 
and we're in the money. And you know, there were various versions recorded. This is really digging in the crates. This is Al Jolson on his radio show of the time. And we're in 1935. This is early old radio. Old radio from the 30s is rare and it tends to be in really shitty sound. And that is definitely the case here. But it's clear enough. This is Al Jolson singing 85 years ago. But to me, this is the definitive version of this wonderful song. Nobody nailed what I think Warren and Dubin meant as much as he did. So it's going to be a little, but this is Al Jolson 85 years ago singing, I'd love to take orders from you on the radio. It's your the captain. I'll be the crew. Oh, I'd love to take orders from you. You blow the bugle, and I'll jump through. Oh, I'd love to take orders from you. I know that rules were made for fools. That's one thing I have learned. But I'm going in for discipline wherever you're concerned. If you take your sniff, that's what I'll do. Oh, I just love to take orders from you. So how about another one? Um, Bilko. Bilko is Sergeant Bilko. Okay, Sergeant. Why isn't it Sergeant? Why is it Sergeant? You just kind of know, but shouldn't it be surgent? But then again, imagine somebody over across the pond, and they're going to ask something like, Mommy, we say clerk. Why do some people say clerk? Why do Americans say clerk? And that's a good question, and it's because clerk became Clark. There's that alternation, and you see it in various words. No show music fans, I'm not about to play Zip from Pal Joey with that rhyme. That song does not appeal to people other than us in our little sorority fraternity. So, not that one, but Clerk and Clark. What about the word varsity? Think about varsity. Have you ever noticed that there's university and varsity and that they must have a relationship? And that relationship is that you could say university, and there were some people who did, and then there's some people who talk about versity. So it's that same alternation that starts over here. And you never know just where things are going to settle. And so what did start out as sergeant became sergeant over there. And that completely won out. And so we have the word here and we say sergeant instead of sergeant. And it makes just as much sense as talking about the varsity show as opposed to the versity show, which we don't quite want, even though the word is university. You have to play the theme song. I know I just did a song, but the Sergeant Bilko theme song is very short. This is the syndicated version, but I just have to. I've seen every episode of Bilko. I recommend it. It holds up. This is the little the little song. Okay, so sergeant, what about lieutenant? Talk about over there. Have you ever noticed in movies where people are British that a lot of people say lieutenant? Why lieutenant? It isn't spelled that way, and it shouldn't be. What is the, what's the, the F? And you know, nobody is exactly sure, but the closest thing to truth would seem to be that it's from French, lieu, and that's place, and then tenant, holding. Lieu is unfortunately spelled L-I-E. 
EU. Okay, so let's say that you know that it's spelled Lieutenant. Okay. Well, it might have been that people said Lieutenant, and then you notice you're making the kind of kissy sound and your teeth are coming in. Ooh. And so Lieutenant, and then V and F are variations on the same thing, so that maybe somebody would have started saying Lieutenant, Lieutenant, Lieutenant over time. Nobody quite knows, but it's not a completely insane story because there's a kind of a synergy between U and V. In that, for example, think about on signs in ancient Rome. Think about on columns and things where Julius Caesar is spelled where the V is a U. Well, it used to be that what we see as a V was pronounced U. It wasn't pronounced V. It was Julius. And it used to be that you had these oos, and the V was pronounced as oo. So we see via for road in Latin. For them, it would have been uia. That's how they would have said it. And you notice W, but a W is what we would think of as double V. That's because that symbol meant you. But think about wea. If you say wea enough, you might start saying wea, wea. It's that in-between B and V that you learn about and never quite get in Spanish unless you're a native. So, via, via, and then via at the beginning of words. So, after a while, the V means both U, its original meaning, then it also means V. So, an U and a V, there's a kind of a relationship there. You know, it's funny, little stories like that about how we get our letters. Somebody ought to do a great courses set about that. Somebody ought to do it soon, as in somebody ought to be signing a contract to do that soon as if they don't have enough to do. Just saying, somebody ought to do a teaching course set about the history of writing and the alphabet. But that is maybe why lieutenant became lieutenant and then lieutenant. It's a funny thing. It's one of those mysteries. It's a mystery like, for example, why all of you haven't by now signed up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus means this. When this show is over, it's not over, because actually I'm going to give you another little bit, but you can only hear the other little bit, sometimes related to the material, usually not. Usually it's some random thing, sometimes with more music or clips. The only way that you can hear it is to sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus would mean that you get that little tag, but you get something else. It's it's something that you don't get. You don't have to listen to the ads. If you pay the nominal fee of being a Slate Plus member, you don't have to listen to any ads. You get the tag, and that's not just on my show, but on any of Slate's marvelous, other than mine, podcasts. It's really a very important thing to do, especially in our era, when the you-know-what has hit the media in a great many ways, and Slate is included. There's nothing tragic going on, but frankly, we really could use the money. Not even going to pretend. We need your money. And it's not that much money, and it would really improve your podcast experience with Slate. So what you do is you write to slate.com slash lexicon plus. That's slate.com slash lexicon plus. And so, for example, this one, it's about St. Louis. A lot of you listening are from St. Louis. I have a relationship to St. Louis. This is going to be about St. Louis, but you're not going to know what I'm talking about unless you get Slate Plus today. How about Admiral? You'd never know where Admiral comes from. You know what that's from? It's from Arabic. Admiral is from the Arabic word for military commander, which is Amir. And so there were these 
interactions between European and Muslim sailors in the Mediterranean, and they had their amirs. And based on the hybridicity of the time, after a while, Europeans were talking about admirals. So that's where that comes from. So we have some words from Arabic like alcohol and algebra, where al is the definite article. You wouldn't know that admiral is one of those words. And it means that you have this business of what we call doublets, or say triplets. So core, corpse, and corpus. Well, in our case, we have admiral. And then if you think of emir as an English word, emir is that same word as amir. Or here is a real doublet. So what about cavalry? I've never liked that word. I don't want to say cavalry. I want to say calvary, but it's not the same thing. Same thing with revelry. I don't want to say that at all. I don't like the little revelry. It's annoying. That word should just be eliminated. And we should be able to say the Calvary, which some people do. And I can completely understand why we don't want an L and an R next to each other. For that reason, it's because they're really the same thing. And you have to make too much differentiation. And life is hard enough already. We're always being told to differentiate things. That means being intelligent. But Calvary? No, it should be Calvary. Or we just shouldn't have to say it at all. That's my two cents. But Calvary comes from a word for horse, cavalleria, like cavalleria rusticana, the opera. So we're talking about Italian. And that word goes back to Latin's caballus, which means horse. So we're talking about horsemen. And we get it from French by way of Italian. The French really liked for a while borrowing their military words from Italian. And so that's the colonella that ends up becoming coronel. Same thing here. And so we have that word. But, you know, actually, chivalry is the same word as cavalry. Chivalry, think of French cheval. And so chivalry also comes from horse. You can see that association between chivalry and horses because of knights and the way they rode horses and they were up there high. And so cavalry and chivalry are us borrowing basically from Latin by way of Italian and French twice. And so we have two rather different words. Chivalry is quite different from cavalry. What they have in common is being annoying to pronounce. So chivalry, you want to say chivalry or something. These things are really something. So for example, a February soldier in the cavalry really should be a federal soldier in the cavalry. But we just can't say that. And you know, it's funny with cabalas, actually. In Latin, cabalas is like a shit horse. It's like a, a nag. Equus is like a real... <laughs> kind of horse, but Kabbalah is like <laughs> horse. And it's interesting. Words can go either way. A word can start meaning and then come to mean. For example, awful used to mean what we now express as awesome. So a castle was awful or artificial. You would say, Ooh, it's so artificial. And what you meant was that it was very well artificed, that it was very neatly created, that it was fancy. There's a story that people tell about King James II saying that about St. Paul's Cathedral when he saw it. It's not true. That story has been attributed to everybody from King James II to like Gerald Ford. It clearly isn't true. But those words did used to mean very positive things. But now awful refers to the current fill in the blank. And artificial means that something is fake. That is not what somebody would have meant 400 years ago. This is also the sort of thing that makes Shakespeare difficult. That's a different rant. But words can also start negative and come to mean positive things. 
So, for example, think of funk. Funk technically refers to stink, or what somebody might call stank. But funk has come to really mean something positive, and not just in terms of the music, but in general, whatever you're referring to with funk, you're probably thinking of it as a good thing. The idea that it primarily refers to the smell of roughly a diaper, except it's probably something a grown-up was responsible for, or that it represents the smell of an armpit, that's becoming actually the other definition. Or one might even say that one enjoys the smell of an armpit. This is probably going too far into the weeds, so I'll just leave it out. But funk starts out meaning like pew, and now it means good music, it means authenticity, it has taken on a positive connotation. Well, same thing with Kabbalists. Kabbalists is a horse with a suede back and it's spitting green cud or something like that. And now we have these words that mean very dignified things such as Calvary and chivalry based on this word that people who spoke Latin would have thought of as the word for nag as in crappy horse. What about semen? (laughs) It's so Benny Hill. I've been watching old Benny Hill episodes these days. And he would have said, well, that semen. And then sat there and looked at the audience and waited, (laughs) waited for the laugh. What about semen? And I don't mean, what I mean is S-E-A-M-A-N. What about semen? There's an interesting story in semen, too, because C as in S-E-A. That's one of those Germanic orphan words. You find it in English and in our Germanic pals, like German and Swedish and such, but not otherwise. It's not a general European word. If you think about it, if you've learned other European languages, notice that you let go of of C, because the real word for things like that is supposed to be things like mare, like la mer. And so mare is a C, the thing that has whales in it. But Germanic is funny with things like that. Germanic has this C word. Nobody else really does. But then Germanic also has mare. But where it uses C and mare, it's clear that in Germanic languages, neither one of those is supposed to be the big giant ocean. It's just that they're bodies of water. There's no distinction of sea from lake. So in German, something that you might kind of let pass because you just think that, well, we're not in English, is that a zee, their equivalent of sea, is often small. Like the Zilberzee, the Silver Sea. It's not a sea, it's, it's a big lake, from what I can tell. And there are lots of Zees there, where you think, oh, we're going to see this sea. And then you realize, well, wait a minute, we're in Germany, we're inland, how big is it going to be? It's a lake. But that's what Zee can mean. Old English had, and modern English supposedly has, because we can preserve every word on paper and pretend it's still alive. We supposedly still have a word, mare, mere. And that is our mare word. Of course, you've never heard it, but if you did use it, as some few people apparently do, it means pond. It doesn't mean the thing that has giant squid in it. So there's an interesting hypothesis. The reason that Germanic languages don't seem to care about the ocean is because of the nature of the Baltic region where these languages are supposed to have emerged. And so Germanic probably starts somewhere in the neck of Denmark. So maybe if you're in there, then nothing is a massive ocean. And so everything is just about bodies of water. 
The world will probably never know, but it's just an interesting thing. But this is why when you're in Germany, people are always saying, well, we're going to go have currants and cream next to the sea. And then you go to some lake where there's one duck in it and a sunken canoe. It's just <laughs> the way it is because of Germanic. We need a song. And, you know, we're on this military thing. And also, Warren and Dubin, Harry Warren and Al Dubin and those Gold Diggers movies, there are a lot of really good songs in those. And one of them is from one of the flagging entries, Gold Diggers of 1937. They'd run out of steam, but there are some really good songs in it. This one is called All is Fair in Love and War. This is Dick Powell with his perfect early 20th century pop tenor voice singing the song. It's just a wonderfully energetic melody. I have played it on the piano, not saying anything about it, and noticed people who don't care about strange old movies turning and listening because it's just such a good melody. The lyric isn't bad either. Here it is. The battlefield's a rocking chair. Look out, look out for all is fair and love and war. Just like a bombshell from the air, a kiss can blow you up. Beware of love and war. Two arms can squeeze you senseless, you're defenseless in the dark. Two eyes, two brown or blue eyes, if they do invite you, they'll dynamite you. And with your back against the wall, she marches you to City Hall and leads you through the door. And then the deed is done, her victory is won, fall of is just like war. And you know, while we're at it, hup, two, three, four, hup, two, three, four, attention, hut ten, hut. What is that? What's hup? What, what's the etymology of hup? Well, you know, that starts as, you might imagine this, it's something for calling animals. So you, you say hup, hup to your sheep or something like that. That's the way you call something, making that clipped kind of sound. Hup. And next thing you know, people are substituting it for one in getting people to march when they're in the cavalry. <laughs> and so, no, because the cavalry are on horses, so I guess we're talking about the infantry because people are riding babies. But you have up, two, three, four. Right. So it's in there and it's used for animals. Interesting thing, though, if you went back in time and you were watching people being made to march for no particular reason, then you would find that sometimes it was hup two, three, four. Sometimes, though, it would be hip two, three, four. Sometimes it would be hep two, three, four. There used to be more variation in this, and it happened that everybody settled upon hup and its variation hut. That was the idea. So up two, three, four. In the 1700s, you expect it with sheep. By the 1800s, it starts being used in the military. And by World War II and afterwards, up is pretty much your only alternative. But it used to be that it could be hip, two, three, four, hip, two, three, four. And I want to give you some absolute trivia. For those of you who didn't want to hear a show about what people are called in the Army and the Navy, here's one of these weird language around the world, who to thunk it, Lexicon Valley things. There's a language called hoop. Yes, <laughs> this is the way I'm going to do it. There's a language called hoop, and it's spoken in the Amazon, one of a great many languages spoken in the Amazon. And you know, there's the most interesting thing about hoop, which is that old man, old woman, and child are kind of verbs. So in hoop, it's not that you're an old man, but 
You're old manning. You're not a child. It's that you're childing. And it's easy to wrap your head around a language doing it that way because one does child. Don't I know it? Watching two people doing it. They're not completely verbs. Not utterly, but they act like no other nouns in many ways that is quite verby. In the hoop language speaking head, you're old womaning rather than just being an old woman. And you know what else? There are two other words that are like that, day and night. It days and it nights. Isn't that neat? That's just a little something about the language hoop. Like, hup. And so, I want to do one more little military song because of the theme of this show. This is Leroy Anderson. Leroy Anderson is this guy who wrote the Sleigh Bells song that we hear at Christmas. And he did that obscure Broadway show, Goldilocks, where I played some of the overture. Thank you. How many of you wrote in saying that you actually liked that? I knew that that would actually strike a chord with maybe two and a half of you. But he wrote a whole bunch of songs, and almost all of them were as catchy as the Goldilocks overture and sleigh bells. One of them is the toy trumpet. You used to hear it a lot as practically stock music on old radio. It's in the background of a lot of cartoons and things like that. This is the toy trumpet. It's just a great little song. Many of you over about the age of 40 will recognize it, although you may have never known the title of it. But this is the toy trumpet. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. You know, some of you may wonder why I haven't brought MASH, the TV show, into this episode. And, you know, I just, I never got it. I didn't like it. People doing surgery. I like Maud better. In any case, Mike Volo is, as always, the editor. And I am John McWhorter. John McWhorter.